Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hey, everybody, this is Book Club. It's so great to have little opportunities like this to all get together. And um, I'm often hosting, but as some of you might not know, and many of you might know, uh, we welcome the new year with a little baby into our life. Elijah Allen Claiborne was born on, actually on his due date, which apparently is only like 5% of the kids that actually come on their due date. So January 4th, and it's already been... uh, an amazing year uh, of, of things that we've been doing to try to be peacemakers in the midst of the escalating violence and, and the lives lost in Gaza. So um, we'll talk, I'll talk just a little bit about that. Welcome everybody and then get out of the way. It's going to be a really great night. But there's always a, folks, a few folks that trickle in. So thanks if you're joining on uh, you know one of the platforms or live stream. Thanks for those of you that have joined here in Zoom. You can use the chat, those of you that are on the Zoom link, and we can um, see you if you want to throw up a whoop whoop hallelujah man or you want to throw a question or something in the chat we can see that um on facebook and the and youtube and everything we're also trying to watch that our our uh master on all socials and platforms is divya and she's watching all those so you we love it for you to be as interactive as possible um and so this is our book club for january with adam bucko it's going to be awesome i'll let mary grace kind of officially uh kick things off and talk more about the book but Adam, always good to see you, my brother. So good to see you, man. Adam's actually been here to our house, and um, we've we've been, you know, kind of brothers from another mother, collaborating and doing things together. And I'm so excited to hear the conversation about um, this book. If y'all don't have it, if you didn't do your homework, it's totally okay. So it's going to be a wonderful conversation, and you'll probably want to get uh, Adam's book. Um, but the other things that we're going to be doing this year, as we kick it off, and you know, here in January, are we're doing morning prayer on the first of every month. We usually do it at 9 a.m. Central or Eastern time, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, and that's very early for those on the West Coast. But it's get, it's recorded so you can join us. Folks, you often tune in from around the world as we do common prayer together. Our guest uh, on February 1st will be uh, Titus, our newest team member of Red Letter Christian. So you, you'll get to meet him and pray with him. Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove will be um, hosting. And I may be there if I'm not changing a diaper. I'm kind of on paternity leave now, popping in. <laughs> whenever I can. Um, the other, another thing that we've got on the horizon, if you haven't seen it, is we're trying to do some kind of real Skillshare workshops that can help folk um, make their voice more public. Um, we're obviously, I mean, it's no surprise that it's election year, but we want to be able to do that all the time. So we're doing a series of workshops around new technology and uh, reels and, and TikTok and things. And we're doing um, a workshop. The first one is going to be on how to write an op-ed. So it's just, um, if you're, if you, you know, have an opinion,
opinion that you want to get out there, but aren't necessarily sure about exactly how to fine tune it and craft it and what length it should be and where to send it. So this uh, workshop with our friend Guthrie is on January 31st. So all that's on our website. And we are really excited to be announcing, we've started announcing that we're going to do a bunch of in-person gatherings, public gatherings uh, in the same vein of the revivals that we did a few years ago before the pandemic. So we couldn't be more excited to create actual in-person gatherings that are centered around Jesus and justice and featuring some really beautiful uh, prophetic voices in our country. So they're going to be in several different locations. We're just now kind of landing the plane on that, but we sure hope we have Father Adam Bucko at a few of those. So it's going to it's gonna be great. And there's all kinds of other stuff happening, but uh, I don't want to take any more time. Just welcome you to Book Club uh, for January, and I'm going to pass it to Mary Grace, who is just, um, it's such an, an honor to work with such talented, passionate people. And Mary Grace uh, does all kinds of stuff at Red Letter Christians. But tonight, uh, she is hosting Book Club. So good to see you, Angie. Thanks, Shane. I, this is a man on paternity leave, if you can believe it or not, folks. I know it sounds like he's really, <laughs> you're really keeping up, Shane. It's incredible. Um, but it's my pleasure tonight to be hosting Father Adam Bucko um, for the Red Letter Christians Book Club. And um, just a little context, another member of the RLC team will be joining for book club to host while Shane is on his paternity leave just to give him the flexibility that he needs. Um, so you'll get to meet some of uh, some of the folks that are working in a, you know, kind of contract part-time capacity for RLC. And uh, it's really just amazing to be able to host uh, host book club. And I am, I'm very lucky to host Father Adam Bucko because we also, uh, we work together at the Episcopal Diocese of Long Island in a, you know, different departments, but we're linked in that way. And um, it just, this gave me an opportunity to learn more about you, Adam, and obviously to read your work. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the conversations we've had this thus far, and I'm so excited to be able to share your your work in this way with this community. So I'll do a, a quick introduction of all of your many, many accomplishments, and um, then we'll just kind of kick it off. So Father Adam Bucko is a committed voice for the movement for the renewal of Christian contemplative spirituality and the growing new monastic movement. He's taught engaged con contemplative spirituality in Europe and the United States, and he's authored several books, including tonight's Let Your Heart Break, Be Your Guide. He co-founded the Reciprocity Foundation and spent 15 years working with homeless youth in New York City, and he currently serves as the director of the Center for Spiritual Imagination, which I know very well. Uh, that's part of the, the diocese that we work, work at together. And he's a member of the Community of the Incarnation, which is a new monastic community dedicated to democratizing the gifts of monastic spirituality and teaching contemplative spirituality in the context of hearing and responding to both the cry of the poor and the cry of the earth. Um, he co-leads the Buddhist Christian community for meditation and action as well. <laughs> Somehow you fit all that into your schedule, Adam. And uh, now I'm just going to let you introduce yourself a little bit and, and comment on some of the absolutely um, incredible work that I know you're doing and uh, take it away. Well, uh, thank you, Mary Grace. Uh, it's so good to see you. And also thank you, Shane. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen each other. And so it's so good uh, to be able to see you. I think I actually maybe slept in that room that you're sitting in. 
uh, so. if I remember correctly. So it's so good to uh, to see you. I find your work so inspiring for now a couple of decades. Uh, thank you for being uh, an inspiration and a compass for all of us. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, being here, uh, I'm very grateful for this uh, invitation, uh, especially at this very crucial time. Uh, I think maybe something that I just wanted to start with is a little bit of a background in terms of where some of my staff and some of my work and some of my spirituality comes from. And then we can just kind of talk about uh, whatever you would like, uh, uh, Mary Grace. And some of this shows up uh, in my book as the book is uh, pretty autobiographical. Uh, I share a lot of stories from my life. And, you know, a lot of my stuff really goes back to my uh, childhood uh, and my teenage years, which happened in Poland. Mm, I grew up and was born in Poland during the totalitarian regime. Uh, so I sort of grew up in this situation, you know, with tanks on the streets. And uh, in many ways, as a kid, I knew that I have a couple of options. Uh, one was to essentially do what many of my friends did, which was drinking and engaging in all kinds of crazy stuff, simply to numb myself, not to feel the pain, uh, not to really uh, accept the fact that I was born into this reality that is not interested in our dreams, he's not interested in our ability to grow and flourish as human beings. Uh, the other choice that I had was to become an activist. And in Poland at that time, uh, most of the activism was connected to the church. As a kid, I saw these courageous priests who were preaching nonviolence, who were speaking truth to the government, who were gathering people, sometimes thousands of people, uh, sort of helping them to name their pain uh, and then bring it to God and then just rest in this state of receptivity, allowing God to really uh, hold us in our pain. Um, and, you know, in Poland, the big sort of image for our faith was the Black Madonna of Częstochowa. It was this Black depiction of uh, the Blessed Mary with two scars on her face. And the legend says that, you know, the actual icon was uh, painted on a table uh, that, uh, uh, you know, uh, and that was there during the Last Supper. Of course, that's, you know, I assume just a legend, but it's a very sacred image of this black woman, the mother of Jesus, and she has two scars. And as children, we were told that uh, the reason why she has those two scars is because she's feeling our pain. So whenever we are in pain, whenever we feel feel oppressed, whenever we feel limited, whenever we feel like the state and the violence of the state is really just crashing us. She is there uh, feeling our pain and somehow uh, supporting us through her love. And, you know, this image was so powerful that, uh, you know, in Poland during the totalitarian regime, uh, the replica of that image was passed from church to church uh, for many years. And Thousands of people would gather to pay homage. Uh, the image and those gatherings became so powerful that the government actually arrested the icon, uh, 
you know, and the icon became a political prisoner. So after that, what was passed from church to church was just frames of the icons. Uh, so we gathered to stare into that empty space, understanding that that emptiness somehow represents the fullness um, of the divine love that is beyond anything that we can actually imagine. Uh, and, you know, as a child, I felt deeply called to priesthood. Uh, I even remember, you know, setting up a little altar at home and just trying to do what I saw those courageous priests do, namely to celebrate Mass, you know, wrapping myself with some kind of a blanket or something <laughs> like that. And I always had the problem, I didn't have a chalice. So it felt like somehow whatever I was doing, it was not complete. Uh, but that was also when I feel like I started experiencing God's presence, you know, just standing there by that homemade altar uh, and feeling like I was being held by something that is stronger than the violence of the state. And somehow, whatever that thing is that, you know, we Christians call God, uh, it was loving me. It was renewing me. It was almost whispering to me that uh, even though everything around me is falling apart, nonetheless, life is worth living because there is God. God who loves us. God who's stronger than all the violence. And of course, one of the most dramatic experiences for me was when our parish priest, who was this kind of a non-violent figure uh, in Poland, was killed by the government. Uh, that really brought it home that to choose the way of Jesus means that we too may end up on the cross. Um, you know, it was Dan Berrigan, I think, who said that if you're serious about your Christian commitments, you better, uh, you know, look good on wood or something like that. Um, so for me, in many ways, that was really my introduction, you know, to the Christian path. Uh, that was really the introduction to my work where prayer and contemplation, you know, where we are sort of learning how to open to the divine presence was also connected to uh, saying no to everything in the world that violates God's love, uh, God's compassion, God's justice. And that really became the kind of foundational experience. And this book, in many ways is written from that place, you know, of recalling that experience, of recalling some of the other experiences, and also talking about people who have inspired me. The book was written during the pandemic, and I tried to utilize those stories, not so much to teach or tell people what to think, but rather to hopefully help them to name some of their sacred experiences, help them to connect with the experience of God that most likely they've already had, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's my spiel, sort of. <laughs> well, um, thank you. Thank you so much. I think it gives us a really helpful context of, you know, where where this soulfulness, this spirituality is coming from in you. And it's, um, you know, you've shared that story with me before, and it's, um, you know, something that's kind of on my heart, I think on a lot of hearts um, in this country now is that, you know, this idea of comfort, the idea of, you know, in a totalitarian regime, there's such a, you know, with examples of priests who are standing up against the government, um, you have this clear image of what it means. I can either be around my friends and doing things that are bad for me, or I could be an activist. Um, and in some ways, there's injustice all over, all around us in the US all the time, in the world, all the 
the time. And yet many Christians in this country live lives of comfort. And I wonder if you could speak to that kind of that balance between, um, you know, can we really respond courageously and faithfully to what Jesus is asking of us? in the comfort that so many of us are afforded when this injustice is all around us. I kind of, is, you know, is your book in many ways and that, you know, this practice of spirituality, is it an answer to um, how to find that balance between um, a comfortable life and the courageous life that we're called to as Christians? Well, you know, my book is trying to articulate some ideas that I hope could be helpful. And uh, there are many different proposals, but I think that, uh, you know, simplicity. Uh, I know in my life, you know, every year, uh, my wife and I, at the end of the year, uh, do a yearly examine where we literally go, uh, you know, through our calendars, through our notes from the whole year, uh, and really try to view that year, you know, through simple questions of this kind of an Ignatian uh, mm-hmm. practice, you know, what are we grateful for? Where have we felt God's presence uh, in our lives? Uh, Where have we felt disconnected from God's presence? And what do we need from God in order to begin to uh, show up in a more authentic way Um, in our lives, you know, living as an expression of God's love, of God's compassion and God's justice. And what always comes up, you know, every year as we do this practice is this question of comfort and simplicity. Uh, You know, I look at my life and I would like to say that, you know, I'm doing the best that I can, Mm. but there is always more, uh, you know. And so the thing that I sort of try to live by is few specific suggestions in terms of how to try to live this teaching, um, you know, um, and I offer them uh, in the book. Um, uh, If you like, I can share they're just like four simple uh, things uh, that I think, you know, may be helpful. Um, And the first thing is that we all need a spiritual practice, right? And, uh, you know, the spiritual life and the church and all that stuff, uh, we tend to complicate all of those things. In fact, uh, spiritual life is quite simple. Uh, We need to practice. And in a Christian tradition, all prayer really starts with us meditating on scripture, um, you know, engaging Engaging in a deep conversation with God and then simply resting in that divine presence, allowing God to love us into newness, allowing God to transform our burdens, our heartbreaks into gifts that we can hopefully begin to offer the world. You know, St. Augustine has this saying that, um, you know, referring to scripture, that in the most inner cabin of our hearts, there is a sleeping Christ. And when that Christ wakes up, uh, you know, We need to be adopting such a posture of consent that that Christ can begin to live through us, can begin to love through us, can begin to engage in works of justice through us, can begin to protest through us. And and in order to to do that, we need a daily practice 
practice of prayer. We need a community of people uh, with whom we can be vulnerable, with whom we can, uh, you know, really travel together, with whom we can learn how to ask for forgiveness, how to offer forgiveness, how to receive uh, forgiveness, how to confess our shortcomings, uh, a community that can speak truth to us and remind us, you know, whenever we get lost, call us back into the circle, uh, into our path. And so in a way that really constitutes what the spiritual path is all about, practice and community. And of course, then there is spiritual direction and other things, but, you know, all of that needs to be done within a community of friends where there is vulnerability, where there is honesty, where we can begin to relate to each other in such way that the Holy Spirit can begin to speak through everyone participating, right? Calling us back to the heart, calling us back to God, allowing us to be experiencing this intimacy with God. And once we sort of have that um, practice, you know, how do we engage with the world? Uh, and these are the specific kind of things that I would like to offer. First of all, uh, we need to commit to engaging with the world from a place of prayer and not a place of ideology. We're so tempted, especially now, you know, to adopt many different kind of ideologies. If we're on the left, you know, we sort mm -hmm. of just embrace that and go for it. But for Christians, I think, um, you know, ideology and different kind of technologies that those ideologies give us like class analysis and etc all of that can be very helpful but we need to respond from a place of prayer from a place of contemplative experience and not ideology and this gives us a felt sense of interconnectedness of all life in god and that helps us to prevent othering engaging from a place of prayer it's very difficult to simply otherize people to see them as less than um, um, engaging with people, even those who disagree with us, automatically calls us into reconciliation, automatically calls us to adopt a stance of nonviolence, right? And the second thing is that um, as human beings, you know, we are historical beings who have been conditioned, you know, through privilege and a lot of other things. And so we have to do our homework in terms of uh, coming to terms with our social location and how it relates to some of those, you know, basic evils that both, uh, you know, Dr. King, uh, Reverend Barber, and Norsho Shane talk about, you know, things like systemic racism, poverty, militarism, ecological devastation, and some of the distorted moral narratives that are so prevalent right now, you know, um, the narrative of Christian nationalism, for example. And so as we analyze our life story, our family story, and how it relates to all of those realities, we then have to do the work of examination. Are there privileges we need to acknowledge and let go of? Are there commitments we need to reevaluate, right? So this way, we're coming in kind of aware of how we've been conditioned, how we've been privileged, how we've been hurt and harmed, you know? The third thing is we got to remember that talking about justice is not the same as 
doing justice, right? And so, you know, I think this is where lifestyles sort of came uh, into question, you know, uh, simplifying our life and committing to ethical living by, you know, essentially doing our best to try to buy all of our necessities in socially responsible, ecologically minded and human scale companies as Aaron Dotty Roy, you know, famously said now years ago, the corporate revolution will collapse if we refuse to buy what they're selling, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we have some choices. Uh, Many of us have some choices. Some of us don't, but many of us do. And those who do, we need to begin to make those choices, right? To simplify, to really be spending our money, uh, investing in a world that corresponds to the values and virtues that are gospel values, that are gospel virtues. Uh, Then the other thing, you know, with justice work, uh, especially for those of us who are sort of big picture people who love to talk about these abstract ideas of, you know, systemic change and all of that stuff, it's important to engage in works of mercy. It's important that our hands are touching the hands of someone who is suffering. Uh, Because otherwise, we will just simply lose perspective. We will be advocating, uh, trying to represent people that we are not in relationship with. I think it was Gustavo Gutierrez who said, you care about the poor? Well, tell me their names, you know. So this idea of really getting serious about works of mercy, about our hands directly being connected to bodies and, and beings who are suffering, who are getting hurt, who are getting violated by our systemic realities. And then finally, all of that, you know, simplification of our life, how we engage with stuff, you know, our direct service to others, whether it's charity or mutual aid, which hopefully, you know, I am a big advocate of moving beyond charity and into mutual Mm -hmm. aid. We have to understand that all of that, all of our relationships, who we are, uh, sort of exists, not in a vacuum, but rather um, within institutions, uh, within systems that have their own logic and that oftentimes sort of determine what we can do at what we can't do. And that's why, in addition to all of that, we also have to become part of a social movement, uh, you know, because our lives and relationships do not happen in a vacuum, but rather within institutions and systems that have their own crooked logic and are in need of massive changes. And so this is kind of the final invitation, you know, is it the poor people campaign? Um, you know, there, there are many movements that have been emerging, you know, uh, I once heard this prominent um, uh uh, sociologist from uh, the City University of New York who said that, um, you know, speaking about these last two decades, that the last two decades have been kind of for her representing the age of protest, you know. Um, and when you look back, you know, starting with Arab Spring and then uh, immediately Occupy Wall Street and then the ecological movement, Black Lives Matter movement, the Poor People's Campaign, all of those movements 
moments, you know, sort of popping up. And then, of course, also the reaction, you know, with with many kind of authoritarian responses to that. This is an age of protest, and we have to participate in that somehow. But as Christians, I think, we participate in that first by starting to do inner work and then engaging with this stuff from a place of deep prayer, where, uh, you know, as Desmond Tutu famously said, with an understanding that the God that we worship has to be big enough to liberate both the oppressed and the oppressors. Um, Nonviolence is our ethic. Nonviolence is our goal. Nonviolence is what takes us into the heart of the beloved community or the kingdom of God as we understand it. So that's sort of, I don't know if I'm actually, if I've answered your question, I feel like maybe I got a little lost there, but that's sort of where my heart is, you know, I'm constantly trying to work on all of those steps, you know, Um, and the question about simplification of life is very, very uh, important one. I see on this call, you know, uh, Monica and um, and Robert Olsberg, you know, uh, Robert, who's a publisher of of this book, which I'm so grateful, uh, who's published so many of my favorite books with Orbis, you know, starting with all the liberation theology. Uh, you know, he beautifully writes about it uh, as he writes about the saints. You know, he worked uh, closely with Dor- today. And so uh, those are the people that we can learn from. Uh, and also, you know, Shane and what he's been mm-hmm. up doing, you know, I remember visiting them and just being so touched by how they live. And, you know, speaking of incarnation, of being really incarnated into a specific neighborhood, specific relationships, really making that deep commitment, not just to ideas, but to people. Mm-hmm. That, you know. So, so many things I want to ask you about after that. But I think you have, you've offered us these very practical steps, these four steps that you use, um, particularly this like a set, you know, an annual assessment of your life. I would say you could even do it more regularly than annual, right? How have I, how have I become? Yes, we we do that daily, you know, (laughs) in our new monastic community, that's one of the practices at the end of the day, you place, I mean, it's sort of, could be done as a contemplative practice, could be done as journaling. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I just do it by one of us leading you know, in bed before we go to sleep and talking to each other, following those questions. You place yourself in the presence of Christ, ask for the grace of being able to see your day through his eyes those eyes of love and compassion and generosity. And then you ask, you know, these few questions. What am I grateful for? Where have I experienced God's presence today? Where have I uh, felt disconnected from God? You know, Uh, is there anything that I am sorry for? Do I need to uh, ask for forgiveness? Do I need to, uh, you know, repair something? And then what do I need for the next day? Placing ourselves and our day and our lives in God's hands. I think that's a wonderful practice. You know, what it does, it trains us then uh, to catch ourselves during the day. Mm. You know? uh, when when we are experiencing God, to just be more aware of it, you know, to name it, to call people that were with into that experience, to share that with them, and also to kind of catch ourselves as we're about to kind of, <laughs> you know, go Maybe down go the, the reactivity and decisions that don't reflect the best of who we are. 
are, you know? So Adam, tell me more about this, the monastic community that you lead, the new monastic community that you lead and the work that you're doing with the Center for Spiritual Imagination. Tell me, I know that it's now across the US, maybe even global, um, but how, you know, what are the resources available to folks um, to be a part of that? Yes, so uh, it's a dispersed community. Uh, you know, uh, the language of new monasticism, uh, we picked from, uh, you know, Shane and uh, Jonathan, uh, especially after reading, uh, you know, Shane's first uh, book, Irresistible Revolution. We were all very inspired by that. Um we kind of came at it from uh, more of a monastic, you know, background, uh, having been mentored by many primarily Roman Catholic monks like Father Thomas Keating, being inspired by people like Father Bede Griffiths, um, and some of those Indian monks, you know, who were also engaged in interfaith dialogue. Um, and so the community itself is a dispersed community. Um, and, you uh, you know, we talk about it in terms of, um, you know, teaching engaging, engaged contemplative spirituality in relation to what Father Bede Griffiths called the universal call to contemplation, namely that contemplative prayer and, you know, this experience of intimacy with God should not just belong to some religious professionals, but is a birthright for every one of us. It's really um, kind of an invitation that we accept uh, at our baptism, you know, um, uh, as Christians. Um, and so, uh, you know, we sort of believe that, uh, especially at this time, um, you know, given the world's crisis the world over, we can no longer afford to hide all the contemplatives in comfortable monasteries. We need to reunite contemplation and action. We need, because mm -hmm. I mean, what we need is spiritual activists and I would say spiritual warriors, nonviolent spiritual warriors on the streets of our cities and in all of our professions and institutions who can reinvent them with spiritual values and who can begin to see every person in need, every structural uh, imbalance or injustice, every cry, including the cry of the earth, as a call to be answered, right? And so in our community, people go through a four-year-long spiritual formation. Um, uh, the kind of charisms of our community focus on uh, a few different schools of spirituality. We adopt the Benedictine rhythm of life that allows us to sort of uh, structure our day in a way that will kind of help us to touch base with the divine to be immersed in silence, even during our activities, to pray a few times a day, to sanctify the hours of the day, and all of our, you know, otherwise maybe what we would think as mundane activities, right? Um, so a Benedictine rhythm of life where we also sort of learn how to listen uh, to that almost silent whisper of God that we hear in scripture, that we hear in our own hearts from God. You know, Benedict talks about listening to life with the ear of the heart. 
heart. So kind of cultivating that receptive, deep listening. And then the Carmelite way of prayer, which takes us back to the early centuries of Christianity, kind of reconnecting with the desert spirituality that developed in Mount Car- on Mount Carmel, but also later on was sort of rejuvenated by St. Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. So we follow the prayer methods that is very much Carmelite and also an understanding of spiritual life and how we travel towards the intimacy with God uh, through the lens of St. Teresa and St. John of the Cross. And then the Franciscan way, which basically we are saying, you know, this business that we're engaged with, it's not just like some kind of a holiday vacation to Bahamas. I mean, I've been to Bahamas once. Uh, I was teaching there. I loved it, you know, but our prayer lives are not meant to be just, you know, like going on vacation, leaving the world behind, but rather it should lead us into uh, the midst of human suffering where we can show up in a specific way, where we can live in a courageous and alternative way, right? So that's one component in terms of how people are trained. Uh, In addition to that, you know, there is the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Every person in our community is part of a small group, and each year they go through all of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not so much addressing their uh, specific addictions, even though all of us are addicted, as Father Thomas used to say, most of all to the human condition, you know, Um, and we need to recover from that. Um, But rather as a way of ongoing conversion of life, and that's how we learn how to do a deep inventory of our lives. That's how we learn how to sort of come to terms with our powerlessness. That's how we learn that we really need to learn how to rely on God, how to invite the divine into our lives uh, so it can touch all of our wounds. And so we may be transformed as a result of that. That's where we learn vulnerability and what it means to travel with others, right? Where we put all of our stuff on the table and then sit in a circle and process all of that, trusting each other that as a prayerful community, even our garbage can be transformed into flowers, uh, you know, that we can then somehow plant uh, in the world. So that's another component of our spirituality. And then finally, you know, we borrow quite a bit from uh, liberation spiritualities and earth-centered spiritualities where we understand that all of this stuff really needs to somehow be expressed or lived within the context of living and responding to the cry of the poor and the cry of the earth. And that that also needs to have a systemic component, that it's not just about being nice or or doing good things. This is serious business, you know, like uh, we are in the business of really confronting in a nonviolent way the powers and principalities that are sort of governing so many aspects of our world. And so that's how it works. You know, people join the community for the first four years in formation. Every year they take seasonal vows and then after that they take life vows uh, and they basically commit to this kind of a way of life. And then they discover vocations and callings within our community where uh, they are sent into the world, you know, to teach contemplative prayer, to serve. And our primary sort of ministry as a community is to teach contemplative prayer because we believe that that is crucial, you know, like our churches for God, that the goal of this thing that we call Christianity is intimacy with God. 
where we can experience God, where we can be changed by God and then live as icons of God's love in the world. You know, we're not just here to like, you know, follow Christ as a nice teacher. We are uh, called to become other Christs, you know. Um, so that's sort of what 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 our community is, you know. And we, you know, we borrow a lot from monastic spirituality, but most people, with few exceptions, are, uh, you know, uh, living this stuff within the context of uh, raising children, right. within the context of having to make a living in the world. Uh, we are founded in an Episcopal cathedral, yes. but we are an ecumenical community. We have clergy from different denominations, from Roman Catholic to Pentecostal to Evangelical to Anglican, um, and also lay people from all denominations or even some spiritual but not religious, you know, who are sort of not comfortable with the name Christian because of all the Christian kind of nationalistic stuff that, you know, and what it represents, but they agree to follow the path of Jesus. Right. Thank you so much for that that kind of robust description. I think when I was reading the book, it kind of came across to me that, you know, so many people are looking for this balance between how do I remain prayerful, but also take that prayer to do actually what it's calling me to do? How do I find that balance between having a prayer life and having a spiritual activism life as well? And I find that many times in your book, um, that's sort of where it came back to, is that this is a practice that actually provides the fuel for the activism itself, which, um, you know, I've been asking myself that question for a long time. How do we fit all this in, right? How do we balance the career and the prayer life and the activism life? Am I ever doing enough? Um, So I think that there's really wonderful spiritual practices that you list in here. There's an appendix of them if people haven't seen the book um, or read the book. And I wondered, I I do want to conclude by having one of those, by having you actually lead us through one of those. But I do have one more question before we do that, because this particular section really caught my eye. And it's something that um, I've, you know, I've been thinking about a lot as a, as a young, younger person in the church. Um, but you say um, one thing I'm going to quote you directly now. I know there's uh this will also become a podcast. So um, people, I am, I am now quoting from Adam's book. Um, one thing that is clear to anyone who is listening is that young people are leaving our churches, not because they are no longer interested in lives of meaning, purpose, and significance, and not because they are no longer interested in God. They are leaving because from where they are standing, it is increasingly difficult to meet God at church. The church resembles in too many ways every other broken system that organizes around power, wealth, and privilege, rather than offering itself as a radical alternative to the status quo. Wow, that was um, probably my favorite line in the in the book. I remember kind of just highlighting it and reading it again and again. And I wonder how, you know, how have you been able to, not just for young people, but for people who have lost faith because of that kind of conflict in the church, or they don't see the church as a place that pursues a, a even a life that looks like Jesus. Um, how do you, you know, maybe re- recapture what the church means 
um, for them, but for the rest of the world that kind of manipulates Christianity and the church so frequently. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, you know, most of my ministry actually has happened outside of the church, uh, and purposefully so. Uh, I spent about 15 years uh, working on the streets of New York City with uh, young people struggling with homelessness, uh, many of them LGBTQ+, plus, who essentially were oftentimes on the street because of uh, the church leaders that their parents had, who told them, you know, this is unacceptable, kick your kid out, and then they will, you know, have they, that will change them, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. But what I learned, you know, working with young people is that uh, when we talk about God, when we talk about spirituality, when we talk about the church, those are very abstract terms. And many people have had very bad experience with a lot of those terms, you know, with a lot of those words where those words were weaponized against them, especially people from uh, the Gen Z and, and millennial, you know, generations. And so what I discovered that instead of sort of talking about God, talking about uh, the church, talking about, you know, what we have to offer and all of that stuff, it's best to start with their human experience. And the two questions that I've always, you know, worked with was what breaks your heart and what makes you truly alive? Um, and if we can approach those questions in a contemplative way, like really holding, guide someone to hold, you know, those questions questions, like to really get in touch with their heartbreak and to hold it with every cell of their being and their aliveness, you know, with every cell of their being. Something happens and their operating system cracks. And all of a sudden, there's this really something arising in them that moves them, you know, that gives them a sense of freedom that occasionally even gives them an insight of who they are called to be. And so I always start with those questions and try to, through contemplative prayer and spiritual direction, kind of take people back into their life where they can have that experience, you know, sitting with their heartbreak, sitting with their aliveness, and just helping them to be with it fully and then observing. And you can see it in people's face where that cracks and there's that movement, what I call the impulse of God that just sort of catches them. And then to name that for them, you know, and to say, you know, when people talk about having the experience of Holy Spirit when people talk about God. That's what they're talking about. Forget about all that other stuff, what some, you know, um, white nationalistic rally, you know, was proclaiming who God is. Forget about that. The experience you just had, the moment of grace that you just experienced, you know, that sense of warmth and freedom, that sense of belonging that you just felt. That's what we mean by having an experience of God. And so then the question question is, when you name it that way, then the question is, how can we then restructure your life so that experience becomes the center of how you make your decisions, the center from uh, where you live, uh, where you act? And many people, especially within the world of, you know, homeless youth, they would say, you know, like, I have a lot of things that I need to change. But we don't start with things we need to change. We start with an experience of grace, and then that enables 
enables people to see what needs to happen in order for them to fully embody that experience and to make that their center, right? And so then we can talk about spiritual practices. Then we can talk about the great narratives of faith, again, as something that can help them to bring them back to the heart, to bring them back to that sense of being touched by God. Then we can talk about the church, not as this crazy institution that oftentimes it is, but rather as a community of friends who are serious about Christ, who are serious about looking at their lives, getting vulnerable with each other, who are serious about naming and confessing their shortcomings, who are serious about forgiveness and reconciliation, right? Um, And so in my view, that's where I like to start with people, because the church is many things, you know, our institutions are many things. And it's mostly what I said in the book. I hope our bishop is not listening. You know, but it's mostly that in many ways. But I think, I mean, God is real and we can taste God. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not that difficult. We just need to snap, call upon his name and just let him love us. And I know it's hard to accept that we are so loved. But if we can do that, and hopefully we have a community and people who can help us to do that, then I think that's the start. And that's also the start of the journey. Of course, the problem is that, you know, when people have had that experience and go to church, sometimes our priests and pastors and leaders are not even fluent in that language of contemplation. So that's why the church needs to change. And the best way to change the church is not through marketing campaigns and, you know, redesigning our logos and all that crap. It's by returning to our roots, by returning to Christ, and by learning how to pray, how to cultivate that sense of reciprocity receptivity, that sense of openness, and that sense of consent. So when that impulse of God arises in our hearts, we can say yes. We can have courage to say yes. So that's sort of, Mm -hmm. I think, my answer to that. Perfectly articulated. I think you're right. And as a communications and marketing professional, I won't take offense to your uh, your comment. (laughs) I really did not mean to throw you under the bus. I apologize. (laughs) No, no, I absolutely agree wholeheartedly. I mean, you know, it's just like I hear so much and you know all the church people they're like well if only young people would come you know like come and what I, to hear yes. our old sorry uh, you know things that we've re- been repeating for the generation and are sort of on autopilot uh, doing you know it's like and then people say well the church the main problem is the marketing problem Wrong. I don't Wrong. Agree. we need to have something to market yes and you know I, I will give this one example Adam because because um, this is a an example from a, a church in our diocese. I won't I won't be specific, but um, a church actually that our bishop Bishop Provenzano visited maybe ten years ago and said ver- verbatim, "It looks like your church is closed. You have to do something." Yeah. And yeah. now this uh, this church has. Now, currently, um, they tracked 7,200 volunteer hours, many from youth just last year, because they have a garden and people come and meet God in that garden. Oh, I know. I think and that I know the church. I said <laughs> I there a few months ago and I love yes. it. 
And yes. then I went into the garden to pray and to evoke the presence of St. Francis, you know, yes. and that's I, what we're talking about. And I said, I, you know, I, I use them as an example so frequently because of that exact thing you just said is you have to give people a reason to want to be here, yeah. you know, something more than, you know, the book that I've, that I've read a million times, you know, the passages that I've heard over and over, I need something more. So um, you're, you're right. It's, uh, it's certainly beyond, right. Beyond the scope of a marketing campaign. So yeah. I am. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. And I do want to spend just our last few minutes together here um, because you offer so many beautiful practices at the end of at the conclusion of your book, actually throughout your book. But there is a very handy appendix at the end with all those spiritual practices. And I'd wondered if you could lead us through one all together here. And of course, if you're listening as a podcast, um, do not close your eyes if you're driving a car. But certainly here tonight, um, you are welcome to to close your eyes and to kind of be in prayer with us as we conclude. Yes, definitely don't close your eyes. <laughs> when you're driving, even though I'll say close your eyes. Um, and do I have like maybe five minutes or something like that? That's certainly fine, yes. Okay, so why don't we do the practice of examine, something that everyone could do at the end of the day, each day, and I'll do it in a kind of short version. Normally, it would take maybe 15 minutes, but we'll uh, do it in a short way. So I would invite you to just simply find a comfortable position, something that can allow you to be relaxed, but also open and alert so you don't fall asleep. And again, if you're driving, don't do that. And then just simply close your eyes and place yourself in the presence of Christ. If it is helpful, you can literally imagine him standing there in front of you, gazing at his face. Can you recognize his love for you? Can you open and welcome him? And then just ask Christ to help you see your day through his eyes, through those eyes of love, eyes of compassion and understanding as you review your day and will meditate on three questions. And so as you're looking back at your day today, looking at it through Christ's eyes, what are you grateful for today? What kind of activities, interactions, conversations, experiences are you grateful for? And I'll give you a minute maybe to just Recall all of them, name all of them, and then just gather all of those experiences and bring them to Christ, saying thank you for all of those moments of joy, for all of those moments that I'm grateful for that took place today. And then take a breath with me, breathing in and then breathing out and letting go. And then again, moving to the next question, again, looking at your day through Christ's eyes, reflecting on your day. Where were you most aware of God today? Where have you experienced God's presence? What were some of those moments where maybe you just felt God being there with you? So again, I'll give you a minute to just review your day and to name all of those moments of God's presence, all of those moments of aliveness and connection and intimacy with God. And then again, just gather all of those things that you named and simply bring them to Christ. Offer them to Christ as a gift saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And again, I invite you to take a breath with me, breathing in and breathing out and letting go. And now again, 
looking at your day through Christ's eyes, reviewing your day. When were you least aware of God's presence? When did you feel least connected to God or lose sight of God? What were some of those moments of aloneness, of fear, of anxiety? And is there anything you regret from today? Is there anyone that you need to say sorry to? Is there anything that perhaps you need to repair? And so again, spent a minute or so just looking back and with compassion, naming some of those moments when you felt disconnected from God, from Christ, and then gather all of those things. And then again, bring them to Christ, placing them in Christ's presence. And if you like, you can say thank you for this too, because anytime we recognize our mistakes, anytime we recognize and name our uh, moments of uh, aloneness and fear and anxiety and reactivity, they become lessons that can allow us to do better next time. So again, place all of that in Christ's presence, asking him for healing, asking him for renewal, asking him for his spirit of gentleness and compassion and love. And please take a breath with me, breathing in and breathing out and letting go. And then finally, spend a moment reflecting on whether there is anything you would like to ask God's help with or guidance with for tomorrow. And then simply place tomorrow in God's loving hands, inviting him to walk with you, inviting him to hold you through whatever will arise in your life tomorrow, inviting him to simply accompany you with his love, with his grace, with his generosity, and with his guidance. And then to conclude, please join me in the prayer that Jesus taught us, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then gently you can just open your eyes. Well, thank you for this opportunity to, to lead you in this practice. And I hope that some of you will practice it at home, you know. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. That was so grounding and healing uh, tonight. And of course, um, this recording is available so everyone can re-listen to that, the whole thing, or just that meditation um, and prayer whenever you need to. So thank you so much, Adam, for being here tonight. And uh, thank you everyone for being here tonight and for sharing your wisdom with us. And um, yeah, have a wonderful evening, everyone. Thank you so much for the invitation. And it's so wonderful to be able to spend this time with you. God bless you. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you 
for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.